Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome to another T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson and Dave Pendleton. Dave, how the devil are you? The sun's shining and all is well in the world. Well, what more do you want? What more do you want? We have, it's been some time since we hubcasted. A little while. Yeah, well, a, little a while. week. <laughs> a week. But, you know, um, yeah, it's been a crazy week. We've been traveling, we've been doing work with the UK Armed Forces. We've been, what else have we been doing? We've been to London recently. Uh, to Wakefield. Di- Wakefield. Today we're going to Crewe. Uh, across in Cheshire to do some work with the NHS across there. So it's all busy on planet T2. But um, before we set off on our journey, we wanted to record a couple of hubcasts this morning, just because there's been a few topics that uh, we've been engaging with customers on, that we've been delivering recently, and we've been saying, haven't we, let's get in and just have a debate on this. Yep. Uh, so to, to the first topic, Dave, what we're going to discuss on this hubcast is uh, around sales. It is. We do a lot of sales training. Um, we do a lot of sales workshops. Uh, we've got our sales methodologies and products, competency frameworks, etc. And as we know, sales is a multifaceted thing. And um, I think one of the things you feel passionately about, which I think sort of leads us into this hubcast, is many people want to skip sort of the fundamental of sales, would you say? <laughs> I think that's a very uh, PC way to put it. Yes. Uh, very well put, I think. Very elegant. Yeah. Yes. Many people are lazy. <laughs> yeah, we won't go there. But, you know, in sales, what we're saying there is um, the dynamism of sales in terms of meeting different people, engaging with different people, with different organizations, etc. The excitement, the buzz of the clothes, the pipeline stuff, the commissions, every the lifestyle. Sales can be a very dynamic thing. And what happens is people tend to gravitate towards the things they enjoy about sales and not so much the things they don't because it can also be a very mechanical, very Mm process-driven, very awkward, very, you know, it's hard. It's hard to do some of that front-end stuff, Mm. that discipline stuff that generates the opportunity to do all of those great things. So what, what are you calling this hubcast, Dave? What should we call it? Well, I was trying to think of a suitable title, and I think maybe something quite controversial and challenging, like sales should be boring. Sales should be boring, not dynamic, not all the things <laughs> I've just said. What do you mean by that? Well, um, I, I totally take your point about being dynamic and exciting and so forth, and absolutely there is a part of that which is exciting, which is dynamic, which is meeting the customer, which is closing the sale. But for me, it's maybe maybe 20% of the job. Yeah. If you are a successful, productive salesperson, Mm. maybe 20% of the job. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of salespeople that we meet, and I certainly have come across in my training lifetime, people think that this sales job is a very glamorous job. Yeah. You know, beating the miles and going and visiting people in your best suit and, uh, you know, closing out loads and loads of deals and so on and so forth, which actually is not the reality. Ringing the bell in the office, you know, (laughs) counting your commission, driving the Ferrari, all the rest of it, right? People look at the Wolf of of Wall Street film (laughs) and they fall in love with the idea of sales, right? It's that easy. You know, everybody's going to become rich and, and glamorous. And 
Yeah, the reality is somewhat different because it's a tough role. I mean, even to get to the point where you're in a position to close a sale, there's an awful lot of groundwork and, and mechanics that have gone into that or should have gone into that unless you work for an organization where you're on a territory with repeat business mm. and you're creaming the run rate for very yeah, little effort. Absolutely. We know those type of roles, right? They exist. You're lucky if you get one or you've earned the right to have one. Or somebody leaves and you inherit it. Yeah, yeah. Or you get, you know, yeah, absolutely. You just get that that gimme deal that comes in, that inbound call that lands in your lap and all of a sudden it's the biggest customer of the year. So, But that is few and far between is what you're saying. Really, really, really. So sales should be boring is what you're saying. So what... Um, what what's your first point on this? If for people listening to this who who are maybe having a tough time uh, in their sales performance or um, they're they're delivering but they're not delivering to the extent they would like to, sure. Um, what's your point here? What what what's the first consideration you want people to sort of have? Well, I guess just from observation, I think you know I've worked with um, high profile, successful, um, wealthy salespeople. And I've also worked with all different types of salespeople below that. I worked at, at you know every tier, right from um, telesalespeople trying to upgrade mobile phone con- uh, contracts and everything else in between. And some people have a great lifestyle, keeping the lights on at home, traveling the miles, meeting people and so forth, but they never earn fortunes of money. They never really climb the ladder into, into you know high-end sales, big-ticket sales and so forth. And certainly from my observations, the people that have done that and do do that are the ones that make the the vast majority of sales process-driven. And I guess this is what I mean by sales should be boring because carrying out processes diligently really isn't a very exciting thing. Nope. You know, it's not glamour. It's not your best suit. It's not pounding the miles, but it is being very, very diligent in carrying out things in a very sort of mechanical, as you put it, step-by-step methodical way and for anybody who's so for anybody who's familiar with our seven-step work uh, sales work cycle um you know our methodology of there is seven steps to a successful sales journey or sales cycle journey then the first four steps is the types of things you're talking about so it's the ability to do your white space analysis it's the ability to get organized and prepared for success it's the ability to start driving the levels of activity not always high activity smart activity that allows you to start uncovering and generating a pipeline before you've even stepped foot in anybody's door it's that it's that nuts and bolts front end process stuff which like you say it's hard it's sometimes monotonous, it's boring, but it's what separates the fantastic salespeople mm. still, mm. you know, from the Now, I always, always come out, I mean, I've always said before, and it's interesting debate this, Dave, I've always made the comment that you be, you need to be able to execute upon those, those early steps, but you need to be able to master the face-to-face stuff. So I was always a big fan of saying the fantastic salespeople hang their hat on when you get in front of a customer you have an ability to build rapport and bring your product or service alive in the mind of the buyer. I still stand by that. Yep. And and we bang that drum a lot. And I was almost, I've been known to say a few times that you can get away with reneging on some of the front end stuff because as soon as you get the opportunity, if you're mm. dynamite, you'll close it, mm. right? In fact, I was always a salesperson where I didn't want to do it. I didn't know I didn't because I did. I did a lot of it, but I didn't enjoy doing it. If you could have someone doing the front stuff for me and just wheel me in, mm. I would have loved that, but I never had that luxury. So I had to learn and develop mm. how to execute upon those early steps. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in this podcast, you're just taking it back to basics and saying, listen, 
if you think you can skip on them, you are you are seriously wrong, right? And your well, the whole yeah. process is going to be flawed, right? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, Martin. You'll probably keep the lights on at home. You know, you probably will be able to pay your bills mm. by by just doing the twenty percent well and not really giving an awful lot of consideration to the other stuff that we talk about. But will you ever be as successful as you potentially could be with a bit more concentration and diligence up the front end? Yeah. I mean, I always use the analogy of, um, you know, I guess successful sports people and athletes and so on and so forth. You know, a fascinating story is, um, is David Beckham. You know, his father took him down the park from being three or four years of age and just made him hammer free kicks at an empty goal and then putting bins in the corners and so forth and, and pounding David Beckham past the point where he didn't enjoy it anymore, but it became mechanical mm. and it almost became muscle memory so that as he grew up as a youngster, he taught him more and more about football rather than just the set piece taking. And, and David Beckham talks about it in many interviews that he's done. And he, he quite clearly says that if my dad didn't do that, if he didn't pound me past the point of enjoyment so it became mechanical, I would never have done what I did in football. Yeah. Usain Bolt, I've just looked at his training training regime, you know, and, and he himself, I mean, you know, the, the most successful, fastest sprinter of all time. Um, he spends 90 minutes a day in the gym, six days a week. Mm. And that's got nothing to do with running. Yeah. And no, then he's got five different routines on the track. Yeah. Five different routines. So he practices starting. He practices acceleration. He practices top speed, deceleration, and speed endurance. And then there's his entire diet. And then is his rest and then sleep patterns and all this all this kind of thing. So if you think about all that time spent doing all those things for 9.9 .9 seconds on the track, yeah, maybe every two months or three mm -hmm. months or something. Yeah, are the others doing doing that? Which Maybe not, right? The other one that springs to mind, uh, I've shared this with you in my mind, was Michael Phelps from a sporting perspective. And yeah. I, I had the pleasure of listening to Bob Bowman, Coach Bowman, who was Michael Phelps' coach, um, at a, a conference and he was an amazing speaker and he taught, it, the first comment he made was that Michael Phelps wasn't even in the top five swimmers in his club as a junior. Mm -hmm. From a natural athlete perspective, from a natural swimming and technical perspective, Michael Phelps wasn't even in the top five, right? But what he was is the hardest working, the most committed, yeah. the most disciplined, right? Mm -hmm. The most driven. And Michael Phelps became who he was through that dedication to practice and repetition. And there was a famous story sort of he quoted in the middle of his talk around they they stood on Michael Phelps's goggles before he got in the water. Yeah. <laughs> and the aim of that was that his goggles would flood with water while he was swimming. And therefore, Michael Phelps swam an enormous amount of lengths with his goggles full of water, so much so that he was eventually able to count the exact number of, um, of, of strokes, strokes mm. so he could turn... And he could also get used to swimming at the same speeds without vision, without sight. Mm. So in races, eventually, if you think about that hard work and that repetition and practice, in, in a race, even though he had sight, he didn't have to rely on his sight to see where he mm. was in, in the race or yeah. whatever. He could, in his head, he could swim a world record pace without vision. Sure. And, I, and, and Bob Bowman also went on to say that, in the Beijing Olympics, I think it was, that Michael Phelps' goggles did fill up with water in one of the races and he was still able to continue and win the race. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the importance of, of the boring inputs and the amount of hours. It's Absolutely. like Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000-hour mm -hmm. rule, right? Mm -hmm. So you can do something on autopilot, mechanical, yep. which 
which will always put you in good stead. And sales is no different, Dave. Absolutely. And people listening to this, we've got to ask you and we've got to challenge you. Are you mechanically on a daily and weekly basis carrying out the front-end activities and processes that are going to build you a formidable pipeline mm-hmm. or going to increase your chances of closing the amount of sales performance that you need? Yeah. The old adage of you shake the tree hard enough, something will fall, right? It's got to be smart. There's a bit more to it than that. A little bit, yeah. (laughs) But are you one of those who are dipping back into that prospecting phase, into that process phase, just to top up when you need to, but you're avoiding it too much, right? Or you're trying to rely on just going in for the – waiting for the dynamic stuff and the face-to-face stuff. And that's what we see. You know, I always remember Charlie Knight. It would be be amazing if he was listening to this because – He's still a friend of mine. He's on social media. Charlie Knight is the best sales guy I've ever worked with, right? He was formidable. We used to have an award at Garner called the Eagle Award for top achievers. Mm. He used to get the Eagle Award every year. I mean, you had to drive a million dollars of new business sales from net new to get the Eagle Award, and he would do it year in, year out because Mm. he was relentless. He was more relentless than any sales guy I've ever met, including myself. Mm. He was just – his levels of activity was astronomical. And that's all it was with him. You know, that's all it was with him. And uh, Charlie, if you're listening, I hope you're well, mate. But, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm, uh, he's, he, uh, there was no special ingredient with Charlie. It was just he had a bigger and better pipeline and worked longer and harder than anybody else and smarter. Yeah, sure. Any final points on this then, Dave? So we're making the point, aren't we? If you're listening to this and by your own admission, there's a little bit more or a lot more you can be doing, do it. What's stopping you? Do you know what's stopping you? Because it's tough. It's boring. It's method. It's, it's, it's monotonous. monotonous. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's it's not the glamorous side of sales. It's not the 20%. But I suppose my message is if you remember that it is only 20%, the actual selling, the face-to-face, the dealing with the customer is only 20%, you've got to get good at the 80% if you want to be truly successful in sales. Challenge yourself. Am I doing that? Most people, if they're honest, would probably say not as much yeah. as they should be or not as much as they could be because I'm not saying it's hard. It's not hard. It's just monotonous and can get a bit boring. Well, <clears throat> but if you do it well and get to the 20%, the 20% will almost take care of itself. Yeah, and it's also worth mentioning that the landscape of sales is changing in the modern day. So we're yeah. not talking all the time about getting a call list from the CRM system or from an Excel <laughs> spreadsheet and, and making 100 yeah. cold calls. We're not talking about that. We're not even talking about just sitting there and, and, and banging out a load of prospecting emails relentlessly to a data pool. The landscape is changing and we have so much at our disposal now to do some of that front end stuff from vlogs and video to social media. Mm. You know, so, social media selling is up there with some of the most productive ways of, of opening up new relationships and contacts out there. Sure. There's content marketing, right? There's podcasting that, like we're doing now. Mm. There's all sorts of creative stuff that salespeople and organizations can do to to drive intelligent levels of activity at this front end. Yeah. It's not all just about that. Now, here's a question for you, Dave. Cold calling, is it dead? Um, I don't think it's dead. I think it's changed. Right. Uh, I, I think there will always be a need for trying to reach out into the world. But I think that... It's, it's a very uh, reactive thing that lots of salespeople do. They they get the call list off the CRM or, you know, wherever it comes from, some sort of spreadsheet or, or lead list that's been bought in by a business, and they just literally sit hammering the phones. I mean, I've I've observed it in recruitment businesses, particularly where, you know, a, a, 
a recruiter will have a uh, hundred calls to make in a day, um, and they can't go home until they've made a hundred calls. So of course that just drives poor activity. Mm. You know, you've got to question where, where is the sense in doing any of that. Um, but the, but for me, there is absolutely a need for that in certain types of sales. But I think more importantly, linking to what you said, the, the sales arena is, is changing because of technology. And if you understand that, you've got to also understand the other perspective from a buyer's perspective. It's changing. What yeah. the, the, the <clears throat> facility, or, or sorry, not the facility, but the way people buy is changing because information is becoming much more available. They can almost get to a point where they're ready to make a decision before they deal with you because they've researched, they've, they've um, discovered, they've priced it, you know, they've maybe spoken to people online, uh, watched video casts and podcasts uh, and, and, so and so forth. And the reality is, Dave, it, I mean, let, let's be honest about this. Most buyers, most consumers or most buyers on behalf of corporations and businesses can almost procure any product or service with a credit card and the click of a button. Almost anything, right? Almost anything. Now, yes, there's still public sector organizations and certain corporations that go through procurement processes and RFPs and tender processes, et cetera. But like you said, the buying trend has changed. Most people can almost procure what you do from somewhere with a website, a credit card, and the click of a button. Yeah. So, yes, the buying landscape has changed. So, so we've got to be aware of that, right? Mm -hmm. We've got to be putting ourselves in the window. For example, over recent times, it was if you're not online, if you're not on social media, right, you're missing a trick. Well, now it's sort of saying the, the world for me is moving to voice. And now you think of our devices at home like Alexa or Google, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. If you if you can't say to Alexa, Alexa, give me uh, management training providers in Yorkshire, and our company is not in the first page of a search engine where Alexa can find it in the future, we are missing out. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Right, mm -hmm. so you've got to start thinking about the future mm -hmm. of procurement and buying. You know, people are gonna. I mean, I know we're going off here on onto a different topic, <laughs> yeah. but people are going to be procuring by voice primarily. I'm not going to be That's typing right. into Google. We're mm -hmm. going to be speaking to our phones and saying, "Give me this. Where can I find this?" Mm -hmm. So, I think marketing teams, organisations, and, and marketing teams have got an awful lot to do on being prepared for that and mm -hmm. making sure they're not left behind. But Coming back to salespeople and sales teams, what we're saying is here, we're not, cold calling is not dead. There was a great stat yeah. recently that said, cold calling is absolutely not dead. And I know this is a very sexist way of putting it, but it said, you just don't have the balls to do it <laughs> yeah. or the, the guts to do yeah. it, right? You know, for the females out there. What it's saying is people stop doing it because A, it was, it's really difficult and B, the old, the world is changing and nobody picks up the phone any day is a really easy way out. So, I mean, it's got to be targeted. It's got to be intelligent. We always have a technique, and it's not for this podcast, that makes a cold call a slightly warmer one yeah. when you do hit that touch. Yeah. Um, so we're, we believe you have to do two or three things first before you hit the cold call, which mm. makes it a much warmer call. But either way, what we're saying is start focusing on your inputs mm -hmm. and the outputs will come. And salespeople can get by on dipping in and out of that but fantastic and successful salespeople who are relentless yeah. and consistent 100%, yeah. make it habitual. Correct. That's what we're saying. Correct. Absolutely. And for sales managers out there then, Dave, what 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 was our final tip for sales managers? Because, 
you know, yes, the companies and organizations should be providing qualified leads where possible. They should be doing some of the things we're talking around from a content marketing, social media perspective to try and open up opportunities for salespeople or account managers to take over and go and add that human element. Mm. But what what else can sales managers be doing to, to, to get their people to focus on that front end stuff? Well, I guess if we're really honest, I mean, sales managers usually become sales managers because they were good at selling. Roll your sleeves up. So, well, we, we talk about it all the time, don't we, in, in, in other topics and subjects, that when you are um, promoted to be a manager, it's because you were good at something else, not because you were good at being a manager. Yeah. So I guess I would challenge the sales managers. Uh, you know, are you fully aware of what the entire sales process lo- looks like end-to-end? And if you're not, become familiar with it and then start to lead and manage the sales process with your sales mm. teams mm. and then watch the outcomes grow. Yeah. And my, yeah, absolutely. My final tip on this, I mentioned, I alluded to it, but anybody listening to this, right? And I see it time and time again. If you are a salesperson in 2019, doesn't matter what level of salesperson you are, junior, uh, telesales, field sales, client director level, you know, whatever type of salesperson you are, if you are not social selling in 2019, you are missing out. If you are not on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, whatever the preferred platform for your organization, whether you're a business to business or business to consumer, if you are not present on social media and building your network, right, and posting regular and adding value and engaging with other people, right, and building relationships, i.e. social selling, you are missing a trick. Because there's stats out there now to say that more, more people will respond to a connection who they have even if they haven't had direct contact with you, but they've observed you, they've observed your post, you've 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 uh, engaged with them on their posts, you've added quality content to them, you've given them something, they are far more likely to respond to you when you make an approach. Um, so you're missing a trick. I meet so many salespeople, Dave, where I, you know, you look on their LinkedIn and they barely use it. Mm-hmm. They've got the 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 classic stock photo of them in a suit or or with a you know. A, a, um, you know, a, a suit on or, or a pair of sunglasses or whatever it might be, and they don't engage. They don't connect. They don't post. There's no information about them, their company. They don't share videos. They don't share content. Mm-hmm. They don't add to anybody else's yeah. posts, and and they and they're missing a trick, right? As a salesperson, if you're in any, if you're representing your organization from a sales perspective or customer's perspective, you need to be in the social game, in my opinion. And whether that's business to consumer, that that might lend itself to platforms more like Facebook or Instagram, which are classically where where the consumer will shop. Um, Instagram's huge for things like clothes and fashion brands and cosmetics and stuff like that. Um, If you are business to business selling, you've got to consider things like LinkedIn and Twitter, right? So check it out. But if you're not social selling, you're missing a trick. And that front end, a lot of activity can be done in the front end to build your relationships and build your connections and start driving, you know, prospects going forward. Would you agree? I would agree. Wholeheartedly. Awesome. Right. Well, anything else there from you on the sales should be boring? Yes. (laughs) You know, it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek comment, isn't it? It is. Sales should be exciting. But the point you're making, Dave, is it can't be exciting without the boring stuff. Correct. It can't be exciting all the time. Yeah. 
And let's face it, no matter what organisation you work for, if you sit there waiting for 10 qualified leads to come into your intray so you can take them away, you're going to be waiting a long time. Absolutely. You've got to take the destiny in your own hands. You've got to get active. Awesome. Right. Thank you, Dave. I think that'll do for this uh, Hubcast on the on the sales uh, section of the Hub. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be back with some more sales topics soon, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Dave, thank you very much. No problem.